in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Christian McCaffrey had a passing, rushing, and receiving touchdown yesterday for the 49ers as they beat the Rams 31-14. He is the first player to do that since LaDainian Tomlinson did it for the Chargers in 2005. You're saying that was Uh, a good trade? Uh, no, it was not a good trade. Debo Samuel could have thrown that pass to Brandon Ayuk if they asked him to. Uh, Jeff Wilson, who could have done that as well. Um, but the 49ers, uh, it is, I think, what is it, up to seven or eight straight regular season wins over the Rams. Obviously, the Rams beat them in the NFC Championship game, the important game. But the 49ers just continue yeah. to own the Rams. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I don't know what's happened with the Rams or and, and McVay. They did a, a couple things yesterday that were... That were uh, mind-boggling, but um, I. How much? Did, let me ask you this. I mean, and I know you didn't think it was a good trade, but how much of a difference does McCaffrey really make? Uh, I don't think it's that big of a difference. I mean, did, did they win that game yesterday because McCaffrey was there? They probably win that game even if Jeff Wilson gets all those touches, right? I, like, I don't right. think that was a big difference overall. So I don't think it matters too much. I don't think we're looking at, oh, the 49ers in the playoffs are going to match up better with the Eagles or something because they have Christian McCaffrey and he might provide them a point here or there, but it's not going to be a massive difference. Well, I mean, it's just, it's nice to see them have a quarterback. Um, <laughs> side note, the Seahawks lead the NFC West at five yeah. and three. We are, <laughs> we are almost halfway through the season, and the Seattle, Seattle Seahawks, Seahawks are in first place. Our division leaders, the the division leaders in the NFC, uh, the Eagles, obviously, the Seahawks, the Vikings, and the Falcons. Just like we all drew it up. Next question: The Denver Broncos went to London and beat uh, the Jacksonville maybe that, Jags. Maybe that's the key. Twenty-one to seventeen. Play their games over the over the other side of the pond. They need Russell Wilson needs four hours of yes. high knees before yes, every he game needs on the four plane. hours of high knees. Yes. Do you think the and whole team was fine. doing high knees on the way back? Oh, I th- I think they did. Mm, I think everyone was standing no. up the entire time. No one slept. <laughs> I did you see the reporter after the game talking to him? Talking to no. Russell? He no. said like ride Bronco Station or whatever, and her face was just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, side note. Is Trevor Lawrence bad? Well, he was yesterday because he threw for almost just a few more yards than Derek Carr. He did barely, 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 Derek barely Carr. beat Derek Carr, and and his team actually scored points, seventeen of them. Yeah. So Lawrence was not very good last season, right? And you know, I think it was relatively fair well, to chalk that up to Urban Meyer, right? And his wandering fingers. But the the idea this year is that okay? Doug Peterson's a good coach, and the Jags and Trevor Lawrence should be better. But has he actually been that much better? No. Like, and he was not good yesterday. I mean, he was awful uh, in London. So, I like he was supposed to be the the you know biggest can't yep. miss quarterback prospect and all that. I don't know. I mean, you're not going to give. I'm not saying you're giving up on him, but I, it might be fair to readjust our expectations of Trevor Lawrence being anything but an, an average quarterback in the NFL. Well, what you got to do is you got to do what they did with Tua. Trade for probably the best wide receiver in football and just be like, yeah, throw it to him. 
So don't give Christian Kirk the massive contract. Get Tyree Kill instead. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be a uh, that would probably be better. Looking at the schedule, so the Broncos, it appears, if they're Tennessee, Vegas, Carolina, would have a bye before the Raiders. Uh, is it before the Raiders? I think it's before Tennessee. I think they're on bye this week. Yeah, coming back from London, oh, they're on they're bye on this bye week. Week. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. okay, okay. Um, but they, I mean, Tennessee, Vegas, Carolina, uh, they probably won't win all three, but there's a legitimate they chance they certainly could. Right, they could win all three, or they're at least two and one, and they're you know hovering around five hundred uh, with a shot to make a run at the playoffs in the AFC. Yeah. I mean, given what the AFC looks like on a weekly basis, and, you know, look at these games, Tennessee, the Raiders, and Carolina. That could be that could be six and five. That could be six and five, and you're kind of in it. Yeah. Next question. The Dolphins beat the Lions 31-27, Tua threw for 382 yards. Tyreek Hill had 188 88. on 14 oh, catches. So many um, more than Devontae. <laughs> so many more so many more than Devontae um, not only did two have 188 Jalen Waddle had 106 as well uh, the two combined for over 200 total yards because Tyree Kill had some rushing yards as well is Mike yeah. McDaniel this good as I mean, an offensive coach is he, look, at, look at the numbers uh, and I think Tua when he's not having a concussion because nobody wanted that is surprising a lot of people with how he plays Maybe this has a lot to do with Mike McDaniel, like you said. Maybe yeah, he is like this it, good. Maybe he takes his personnel and actually does something with it. Because the crazy thing with Tua, he he can't really throw a deep ball. Like, he underthrows. He doesn't have the arm strength for Tyreek Hill, but they're still making it work with Tyreek right. Hill. And there After was a stat the yesterday about um, uh, separation that wide receivers get, and the average is like 2.5 yards of separation. Uh, the... Dolphins, I think, have three guys that are averaging over three yards of separation, and Tyree Kill was like at four or five yards yesterday. He's at four or of five separation. years of four or five yards of separation, and I know he's fast, but it's not like these DBs are slow guys, right? Like it's it's insane how open these receivers are. Which again, give credit to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle; they're good receivers. Yeah, but I do I feel like we're we're watching. Mike McDaniel, and it's like, oh, it, it's this guy. Like, this is the guy. We're going to be talking about his offense for the next couple of years and how good it is. Man, you know, that's a great question. Michigan beat Michigan State 29-7 to on Saturday. Police are investigating a fight that happened in the tunnel. Michigan State has uh, suspended four players. There have been a couple of videos of it. It seems pretty clear. I mean, you don't get the full context in the video. They're relatively short. But it seems pretty clear that there are a handful of Michigan State football players punching and maybe kicking other yeah. or Michigan, Michigan football players, players Michigan in the players. tunnel. They've got them down on the ground. Yeah. Is this, again, is this a situation we heard about with Penn State? Is this a situation of going through the same tunnel? Yes, I believe so. It's just, I don't know. They've renovated um, the big house. I mean, was, and then you've got the Michigan security guy just standing there with his with his headphone on. What was that guy doing? <laughs> well, he Sitting was there, worried. Like, I mean, he, he was, was like, "I'm next if I do something. <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna, gonna see me and come after yellow. me next." He's yeah. just standing there. One of his guys is just getting pummeled. He's standing with the headphone on and his name tag. He's got a name tag on this guy. Uh, I so they suspended a few players. That is kicked off the team worthy, right? Absolutely. They they all were over them. They're, they they drug them down. They kicked them. 
And and they're trying to get him out of there, and then Mr. Security Guard's just standing there? Yeah. That is kicked off the team worthy. Are you, I think I feel like you're going to fire the security guard. I, I would have fired him else. immediately. He's tr- <laughs> he's just standing there. He tries to come in at one point. Then he sees there's like 12 white jerseys uh, going against the one Michigan kid. And then he just backs up. And then how about the other guy? The other guys, this is so 2022. You've got another guy coming in from behind the fracas just, just filming it on his iPhone. Oh, of course. Like, you know, yeah. of course. It's like, let, let's not try to, like, help the kid up or anything like that. I've got to film it on my iPhone. Ed, how else is he supposed to go viral on TikTok if he helps? That's <laughs> true. That's true. I'm out. Ohio State beat Penn State 44-31 to on Saturday. Penn State actually led 21-16 to in the fourth quarter. And Ohio State then scored four touchdowns in less than seven minutes. <laughs> okay. And won the game 44-30. So is it Golden Knights practice? We're in the locker room. The game's on the TV. And I'm not going to say who, but someone had, uh, let's say, a little action on Ohio State, laying, laying 16. Going a little. It wasn't Danny a, play, was wasn't a player. No, it wasn't a player. It had nothing to do with the players. Um, and uh, very excited when Ohio State uh, scored to go up, I don't know, like seven or eight or something, saying maybe they can still cover. Then we go in to talk to Cassidy. And I didn't know this, but I refreshed my phone, and Ohio State's up twenty, and the guy in the the guy's going crazy because they I guess they did they score two touchdowns in like eleven seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got a they scored a just, touchdown, and then, and then they got, got the a, pick six. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah less but than thirty then seconds apart. Penn State scored. They did. So uh, too bad for that fun guy. cover at the end. Too but again, Penn State led twenty-one to sixteen in the fourth quarter and lost forty-four to thirty-one. <laughs> I mean, okay, so Ed, you gotta you gotta give us a name and no. why does Ben Goats have a gambling? Uh, oh my no. God, he actually hit the. Delay. No, please, please, <laughs> no, stop it. Um, no, nothing to do with anyone from us. Nothing to do with anyone. I probably shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> oh Just a guy, and I don't even know his name. So there, there, there's nothing. No players, no anything. Just very excited about the game. I'll leave it at that. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> the Nets lost to the Pacers 125-116. They actually played them again tonight. The Nets are now 1-5 this What's season. What's happening? Um, well, they messed with the chosen people. Um, do, okay. Do we do we want to get into Kyrie Irving right here? I, I know have, we're at the very I, end of the front page. But I do have we want the to get sound into... if you want to play it. It's about when you 50... say the sound. There's a six minute press conference of him being yeah, an him... idiot. Oh well, I have I have the 56 second version where the reporter keeps going. All right, uh, yeah, let's play it. Let's play it. To follow up on the promotion of the movie and the book, can you please stop calling it a promotion? What am I promoting? Put it out on your platform. But I'm promoting it. Do you see me doing? Do you see Fine. me in front putting of the, it out there, the people title? People are going to say that you are. Yeah, I put promoting. it out there, just like you put things out there, right? Yeah, but I. Okay. I, it's not. You put stuff. things out there for a living, right? Right, but my Great. stuff Great. is so not. Let's move on. Filled let's with move on. anti-Semitic. Let's stuff. move on. Don't dehumanize me up here. I, I'm not. I'm not doing I'm that. You're free to post I can what, post whatever I want. So say that what? and shut it down and move on to the next question. But Kyrie, you have to understand that by I don't have post, to understand anything from you. It's not me. Nothing. By no people that you're making up, bro. Move on. But by posting, move on. Next question. Anybody Do you guys have any more questions? And from they're me? gonna say, "You guys have any more questions?" Because this is gonna be a clip. Beliefs. This is gonna be a clip that he's gonna marvel at. Is this any more questions? But you're not answering the question. Oh, this is another answering your question. Oh my God! Let's make another Instagram clip so we could be famous again. 
All right. Uh, Kyrie Irving, um, he posted a link from Amazon to a book slash documentary called Hebrews or Hebrews to Negroes. And I am not going to sit here and tell you that I have watched or read that. But the Rolling Stone did a story on it. And basically, that book and documentary uh, is full of anti-Semitism. It okay. claims that the first people to enslave black people were Jews, blames Jews for enslaving black people. And there's a lot of other anti-Semitism. This was a Kyrie book? Book, or this, uh, book this or documentary. A, this was a documentary. Uh, it, it's a... A uh, documentary based on a book. So there's okay. one. Okay. There's two of them. There's okay. a book and a documentary. So Kyrie Irving tweeted it out. Okay. And then when Rolling Stone wrote the story saying, "Hey, this is what Kyrie just tweeted out," everybody was like, "Oh, what's he doing there?" He got asked about it after losing to the Pacers and got asked about it multiple times. That was the end of the interaction. He actually started off getting asked about it, and somebody said, you know, do you want to respond to the criticism? And he said, what criticism? Who's criticizing me? And they said, well, your, your owner. And he said, oh, okay. Um, here's the thing on Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving wants so badly to be intelligent. He wants to be the smartest person in the room so badly. But he does not put in actual work or research or study to be the most intelligent person in the room. And he wants to be the most intelligent person on the room. He wants to find like uh, controversial, contrarian viewpoints that he can claim, I'm smarter than you. Mm -hmm. That's why he says, that's why he Did says you hear things the six like, minute answer? Yeah, the earth is flat, right? That's where yeah. that comes from anti vaccination. He tweeted out an Alex Jones video last month. He tries to find contrarian viewpoints to be like, I'm smarter than you. Look what I know that you don't right. know. And the problem that Kyrie Irving finds himself in is when he gets asked to explain himself, he doesn't actually know anything about the topic that he's trying to claim he knows, so he can't defend himself. All he can do is get into this argument where he's like, oh, it's it, it's not my, I'm not promoting it. You tweeted it out. That's called promoting it. When he says, oh, don't dehumanize me, you're being humanized because you're given an opportunity to explain what you tweeted out and you refuse to explain it because he can't. Kyrie Irving is the fake smart guy that when he gets asked to explain anything, any of his viewpoints, he can't do it because he doesn't actually know it. No, anything. but he tries to and he talks and talks and talks like he did for the six minute answer and he doesn't really say anything. Yeah. Because he doesn't actually have an answer. Did you hear his reasoning as to why he found... He said, he, I wasn't looking for anti-Semitism, but I was looking up my name, and yeah. Kyrie in Hebrew means Yahweh, which it actually does. But he was like, and I found this documentary, and I thought that was great. It's like, what, what the hell does that even mean? Like, I wasn't looking That's for anti-Semitism stuff. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I wasn't promoting it. It's... He's, it, he's infuriating. And in that same press conference, right, he said that A... He doesn't have a platform that people shouldn't look to him as a role model and a parental figure. And then also said, well, I have an army of followers on Twitter and right, Instagram. Right, exactly. Same, Either exactly. you do have a platform or you, or you don't. Or you don't. And he very clearly does. And that's the issue yes, here is that he, he does have an army of people. Yes. And the issue is he does have an army of people that defend him even when he says the earth is flat, right. even when he tweets out an Alex Jones video, even when he tweets out an anti-Semitic documentary, he's infuriating, and I can't believe he still plays on the Nets. I, I just, 
genuinely, I don't understand where the like there's in the last like four months, there's this new wave of anti-Semitism that's not coming from the normal people. But all of a sudden, I've we've got Kanye West and Kyrie Irving somehow somehow semi parroting white supremacist talking points. It's it's insanity. I I'm like I don't know. You know if those the... people when they come after my people, they don't. They're not stopping there. <laughs> right, right. All right, we're going to break. When we come back, we're talking about the Las Vegas A's. Here comes the two-zero pitch from Zach Wheeler. Brickman. It's one in the air to deep left center field. Back it goes. It is gone. Alex Brickman strikes again in the World Series. It's the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. We'll get more into the World Series a little bit later, but. Uh, uh. Rob Manfred. There's no A's highlights right now. <laughs> there weren't the whole season, Jared. It's okay. um, actually, the A's were the only team to sweep the Astros the entire season. Um, but Rob Manfred, he talked to Chris Russo on Chris Russo's podcast over the weekend. And he talked up the idea of the A's leaving Oakland. I'll read a couple of quotes from him. I think the mayor in Oakland has made a huge effort to try to get it done in Oakland. It just doesn't look like it's going to happen. I think the A's have proceeded prudently in terms of exploring the Las Vegas alternative, given the lack of pace in Oakland. I think they have to look for an alternative. He also mentioned a five-year timeline. He said, something has to happen. We can't go five more years in the Coliseum. Given the lack of pace in Oakland, the lack of certainty, they have to be looking at Las Vegas. They need an alternative because they can't continue to play in the facility okay. they're in. So it's news because he said it. Um, let me ask you this. It's, uh, you know, Anytime a commissioner would come out and say that, that's news. Was this contrived and set up uh, to put more pressure on Oakland? And you and I have always thought this was a leverage play. Stocking horse. Was this contrived and set up before, between the team and him that says, let's go out and say this? Because... We have not heard anything uh, on this front for for a while now, and usually when that happens, something's happening behind the scenes. When it goes, you know, radio silent after you know Dave Cavill made forty two trips here on Southwest Airlines, you know, he <laughs> essentially came weekly for such a long time, and then we haven't a lot heard of drink in a while. tickets. Yeah, a lot of a lot of tickets. Um, but do you think this was kind of contrived between both and said, okay, let you if you say something, they're going to take it seriously. It is Rob Manfred's job. He, who, or let me phrase it this way: Rob Manfred works for the owners, and sure. John Fisher is the owner of the Oakland A's, and John Fisher is the one that wants public money to build a new stadium in Oakland or Las Vegas. Rob Manfred works for the owners, so when Rob Manfred talks about a team stadium situation or relocation, Rob Manfred's quotes are one hundred percent to benefit. The owner. It's not necessarily what's going to happen. It's not necessarily the true reality of what's going on. He's going to say things to benefit the owner. And in this case, saying, well, the pace in Oakland isn't very good. The, the, the stadium's not very good. We can't be there another five years. We've got to be looking at Las Vegas. That's the same thing. It's always been. It's a threat. Right. Not he at no point did Manfred actually say in this, oh, they're going to Vegas. No, right. He just no. said it doesn't look like it's going to work in Oakland and they need to explore Vegas like they have been. All of it's just a threat. Now, here's the part that I found most interesting, because Mick Akers of the Review Journal, he wrote a story about this. 
And from Mick's story, right? I'll just read what Mick wrote. A source with knowledge of the Las Vegas dealings said, Vegas has a real opportunity if they step up before potential other markets are introduced. Translation, they want money. So here's, here's, here's my read on this. This is a desperate cry a from an unwanted organization. The A's want public money to Absolutely. build a new stadium. Absolutely. Their current stadium situation sucks, and their owner doesn't want to spend his own money. He wants tax dollars. So the A's need a city to give them tax dollars. They have tried to get it done in Oakland, and they I still think they end up getting it done in Oakland, but they haven't gotten it done as quickly as they wanted. The whole time they've been trying to get it done in Oakland, they've been using Las Vegas as leverage, right? Using Vegas against Oakland. A threat. Hey, Oakland, don't give us the money, and we're going to move to Las Vegas. And they still haven't gotten everything done in Oakland. Meanwhile, the threat of Vegas has never actually been real because there's never actually been money offered to the A's, right? The A's don't, there's no tax dollars that are being offered to the A's to build a stadium here. If there were, they'd already be here. Um, But what's fascinating about that quote, the idea Vegas has a real opportunity if they step up before potential other markets are introduced, that is the Oakland A's now using unnamed cities as leverage against Las Vegas. Yeah. He they are now saying Hello well, Hello Portland. Exactly. They are saying, Well, listen, Las Vegas, if you give us money right now, the A's are yours. If you wait, another city might come along yeah. and give us money. But they're not saying what city. And here's the fascinating part. Oakland can't give them money at the moment. Las Vegas hasn't offered them money at the moment. What other city is going to offer them money? Well, and the only other city you that you it? heard about, uh, that's why I said that the only other city you heard about when this first started was Vegas and Portland. Now, I don't know if Portland's going to give them money at, anyway or, or at all, but that's the only other city you've really heard had any kind of interest in bringing Major League Baseball. The A's have no cities giving them public money, and yet they're trying to make everybody believe that they have multiple cities willing to give them public money. At the end of the day, no one wants the A's bad enough to give them public money to build a stadium. They just—it's not—that's it, not realistic for the A's right now, and they are desperately trying to get somebody to give them public money, and it's just not yeah. happening for them. And here's the thing. What do the Oakland A's do that would make any city say, we have to have that? They don't well, they spend money don't, on their players. They don't certainly spend money on players. They don't want, right. they don't give any kind of indication they want to win. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> it's not a franchise that I think any city is clamoring to have, and yet they're out here using unnamed cities as a threat against Las Vegas. It's, I, I do not believe anything Manfred said has changed the situation at all. They're most likely to stay in Oakland. They would love to get public money from Vegas, but they're not getting any. And until that changes, they're not coming here. And they know that, and that's why they're using other unnamed cities as a threat, because they know they're not getting public money here. So now they're threatening us when normally we're the ones being used as a threat. All right, coming up next, Caleb Herring joins the show. Jordan Young-Humphrey, the running back. Bailey in a shotgun. 
Takes the snap, drops back again. Bailey stepping up. He's going to try to run. He's at the five. He dives in. Is he in? And touchdown. Touchdown. Harrison Bailey scores his second touchdown of the game. Not known for his wheels, but he scores again. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now, former UNLV quarterback and current broadcaster on the uh for the football games. Jeez, I'm losing my train of thought already. Uh, hello, Caleb Perry. Hey, how Caleb, are you today? how are you, man? Hey, guys. What's going on? How you doing? Good. Uh, best intro you've ever gotten. You are welcome. Um, all right. <laughs> UNLV, they had a bye week this past week, didn't play. They are 4-4. Four and four. Uh, Given preseason expectations, I think everybody would have taken 4-4 four and four at this point. But they've lost three games in a row. A caveat there, Doug Brumfield's been out with an injury. When you look at this team and four games left, how confident are you that they can win two of those and become bowl eligible? Uh, I am confident still at this point, looking at the teams left. I think there's two teams that at the beginning of the season, um, we would have anticipated that the Rebels could beat, and that being Hawaii and Reno. Although the Hawaii game on the road is always a tough one, um, those two games, I still think the Rebels will be favored going into it. That's health pending and having everybody back, obviously. Um, but I, I do think that those two games are very winnable, we'll say. Um, like you mentioned, the, this was kind of this stretch of games, even without the injuries, uh, not just to Brumfield, but to wide receivers, and, you know, Kyle Williams being out, uh, you got Jeff Weimer being out, uh, the injuries on defense stacking up as well. This, Even without those injuries, this stretch of game, this stretch of five games really, was projected to be the toughest stretch, and that's kind of rounding out to be the case, especially with Fresno kind of figuring things out, Jake Hanner being back and San Diego State even figuring things out at this point of the season. So it was going to be a tough stretch of games regardless. Uh, you would have hoped that right now the Rebels could steal one of these um, so that those two games, Hawaii and Reno, at the end of the season, to finish the season off, were not mandatory for postseason play. You want to try to steal one of these, whether it's San Diego, Fresno, Air Force at the beginning, San Jose State, try to steal one of these games during the stretch just to, to make it a little bit more comfortable getting in their postseason play. But I still think it's out there. I still think there's two winnable games out there for the Rebels, and, We'll see if they can steal one of these next two to make it a little bit more comfortable getting in. You know, I, I don't know if they beat Notre Dame with him. Um, I, I don't think they do, but I think it would have been a lot more interesting. But I think what it has shown is how important Doug Brumfield is to this team and this offense. Uh, would you agree, I mean, from what we've seen without him? Absolutely. I think anytime you got a guy at quarterback who's 70% completion rate um, on the season, I think that just that alone takes so much away from your offense. Um, the rhythm, the cadence, the confidence that he has, the throws that he's able to make just from an arm talent standpoint, obviously, um, have been were great while he was available. Um, but then he also adds the dimension of the running ability. Like We, we ha- saw him have a 100-yard rushing game. We saw him rush for multiple touchdowns in single games. Um, so there's so much that you lose when he's not on the field. Um, not just the, the stats, but the chemistry of the offense. We've seen that with Cam Friel and Harrison Bailey and their reps. Um, more procedural penalties, you know, uh, delayed games. It's very close to getting delayed games. They're using all of the play clock just to get lined up, um, offsides, things like that, uh, just the cadence being off when you're missing the guy. And credit to Doug, and this is not a knock against the other two, but Doug really separated himself as the guy. And like I said, he wasn't just tops for the conference. He was nationally, um, statistically, in the conversation for the top 20, top 15 quarterbacks from a PFS standpoint. So that guy goes down. Every offense across the nation loses a lot. And you see, you know, the quarterback situation at different universities due to injury. 
um, the impact it has. I think Doug's injury had a huge impact. The, the difference between one and two on the depth chart was huge at this point in the season. Um, so having him back, hopefully, and it looks like this week he'll be back, um, boost your offense to a level that I think you're comfortable with. Go from top um, scoring offense in the in the conference to you know now middle of the pack because your quarterback's out. That's that's going to be a big thing for any team. Uh, neither Harrison Bailey nor Cameron Friel really has played well enough to definitely be the guy if Brumfield's out. But I'm curious, when you were a quarterback, how did you feel if there was ever a time where your coach planned? to rotate quarterbacks the way Marcus Arroyo did against Notre Dame. Did you did that throw you off, or was that fine? Like, what do you think of the idea of uh, planning to rotate quarterbacks? I think it's tough to go into a game knowing that you're going to be pulled at some point because obviously it adds um, a little bit more pressure to your reps. Um, so when you are in, you, you're trying to maybe press and make the most out of what you, you know, your opportunity, um, knowing that at some point you're going to get snagged. I think there's with the young quarterbacks and – um, you know, guys trying to find their way. It's it's also a little bit of a perception thing. Like it, it just being mo- removed from the field. Um, there's something to it that's a little bit devastating, and you, 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 that's another mental hurdle that you have to try to try to navigate through as the game goes on. That I'm getting benched essentially um, for you know our fans, my crowd, my my hometown people that see me leaving the field. It, it, you can't take away the feeling of being benched, and that's a tough thing to overcome. Um, so yeah, there's some there's some to the rhythm of the game. Um, that is missing that you could say is a detriment. It doesn't really help you. Um, but at the same time, I think Coach Arroyo at that time was trying to give both guys an opportunity to step up. And I think um, for the most part, both struggled. Harrison, I think, in the game found a rhythm um, that he was comfortable, he was confident, he did some things that, that helped the team out at that point. Um, but it's tough. It, it's a hard situation to know that you're going to you know, go in for two series, three series, and then have to go to the bench and watch the other guy perform. Especially if you you sit on the bench and watch him essentially take over and you know find a rhythm and take the you know the whole second half at quarterback that that's a tough thing to do but uh, that was what they asked and I think understanding that neither of these guys is the guys the starter um, going into the game because Doug has clearly take, taken that mantle up um, I think you want to get a clear number two so that next time this happens uh, with injuries or whatever you understand who the guy is coming in, and that guy gets more reps maybe in practice as the number two guy. So I think that was the game plan to get Harrison some more game reps um, and let him really show what he can do in-game. I thought it was even at 31 at halftime. I thought defensively they composed themselves pretty well. They got, they had so many short fields, and they were the, the block punts obviously put them in bad situations. Uh, but how much better? Uh, Hayner's back. You saw, We saw San Diego State the other night. Uh, probably should have beat Fresno. Total collapse in the end, but they've turned things. How much better do they have to be defensively, uh, UNLV, to get this done? Uh, they have to be really good. And I think, um, like you said, they were putting a lot of bad situations in Notre Dame. And really, they, if you look back throughout the season, they've overcome and really been competitive in bad situations, whether it's short fields, turnovers, things like that. Um, so I think they do have to be better. I think the signs that we saw against Notre Dame is a more aggressive version of UNLV, and this is from a coverage standpoint. Um, they put their guys in man-to-man coverage a lot. Um, which I think is a, a refreshing sign for me watching this team um, that they're willing to be aggressive in the secondary and challenge those guys to make plays and, and make it difficult for receivers to make catches. Obviously, that, that's going to have to happen with San Diego State finding a passing game late in the season, Jake Hayner being back on the schedule as well. Um, it's going to be tough. They, they definitely have to be better, more efficient, more effective at getting off the field on third down. Um, a lot of this is going to have to do with uh, the pressure that they can create up front 
and with guys like Eliel and Naki being out last last game, um, it, it was tough to find find ways to create pressure. But I think they're going to have to step up uh, big defensively. Hopefully, not as big because you're going to be able to score points offensively and put drives together, and fatigue won't be as much of a factor in the fourth quarter. That Notre Dame game, you saw that the guys were gassed by the fourth quarter, and Notre Dame just leaned on them with the running game to finish things off. Um, so hopefully the offense being back and, and having less turnovers, more efficiency in the, in the special teams game, all those things add up to a better defensive performance. So I, I think they have a better chance. Once they get healthy um, late down the season, they'll have, they'll, they'll have to step up for sure, but things will look a lot better once the entire team helps them out. They were in some bad spots in these last few games. What uh, requires more effort and work on your part? Breaking down UNLV football on the air or explaining your meals to Steve Cofield? <laughs> I, I think it requires more effort to explain the meals. I'm not uh, necessarily an expert in the culinary arts. I, I have some catching up to do. Um, so football comes like second nature to me at this point. Um, but culinary, is it's very especially when you're trying to translate PFF scores to the food it's just it's new to me it's, it's very new it's fun it's, it's entertaining it makes for a good time but um that's a new experience and i'm struggling my way through it i think i figured it out though i think i'll be fine all right what's what's the best meal you've had on the road this year oh this is gonna pain me to say there, there's one item that was the best i've had um and it, it was in reno which is hard oh. for me to say uh they had the best wings i've had on the road with unlv and it's it, it pains me to say. That's why I have to have wings everywhere I go because I'm trying to dethrone them <laughs> from the top of the list. But they are definitely the best wings I've had while traveling with UNLV, hands down. So this is not a Mike Ramallah situation. <laughs> this, is not, this is not a situation like that. You actually will take sauce on stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, I have to be fair with my, with my critique. Um, but I will, actually, I will absolutely get the wings dethroned from Reno. There's no way that's going to stand. I'm, there's some places I haven't been yet that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go. Like next year we go to Michigan um, to see if we can, you know, find a champ there. Um, but I, I, I don't want to – maybe Hawaii has some good wings. I don't know. We, we'll try it there. I don't know. Something's got to knock Reno off the top of that list. Uh, Caleb, we appreciate your journalistic integrity on where the best wings are on the road in the Mountain West. Uh, he is Caleb Herring. Again, you can hear him on the broadcast for UNLV football games every week. Caleb, as always, we Thanks, appreciate Caleb. it. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks, guys. Have a good rest of your day. Appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm glad he is willing to be like, eh, it hurts to say, but it's definitely it's Reno, Reno with the wings. The wings. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, we're going to get into the World Series as Game 3 between the Astros and the Phillies is tonight. But first, we got tickets to give away the Who on the Who Hits Back Tour. Two nights at Dolby Live at Park MGM, November 4th and 5th. We got a pair of tickets for you for the show on the 5th. You can buy tickets to Ticketmaster or just win some from us right now. 702-364-1100. That is the phone number. If you want to go see the Who this weekend, 702-364-1100. Be caller number 8. I don't feel any added pressure. I'd like more on me. Uh... I enjoy the pressure, enjoy the opportunities to throw the ball down the field, and hopefully we can uh, get some opportunities next week when he's guys healthy, though. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. 
Game three of the World Series is tonight. Starts at five o'clock. Uh, Phillies won game one despite trailing five to nothing, and the Astros won game two, five to two. Um, Ed, I know before the World Series, you were convinced the Astros were going to win. Have you changed your mind at all? No, your team's going to win the World Series. <laughs> I don't think there's any question about that. There's no question. No, okay. they're much. Right. They're a better team, like you said uh early in the show they have you know they're up 5-0 verlander falls apart so that should have never happened um even though in the world series maybe it should have because he can't pitch in the world series it's terrible it's terrible yeah. in the world series but uh <laughs> no really i haven't good. <laughs> i have not changed my mind right. and i'm sure you right. haven't either uh no not not much at all i in all honesty i think the winner of game two uh, that was that was what was going to determine the world series if the phillies had found a way to win game two and they went up to nothing Phillies win the World Series, but I think given, even though they're in Philadelphia, games three and four, the Astros have a pretty significant advantage in starting pitcher. Yes. And so the, I have a hard time believing the Phillies will win the next two games, both of them. I think they probably split, but I do not believe the Phillies will win the next two. And so if they do split and it's 2-2, two, two, then, then you know it's going back. Right. There's a three-game series. Two are in Houston, and the Astros, even though he sucks, get Verlander, Framber Valdez, and Lance McCullers lined up, which is better than what the Phillies are going to have lined up for the last three games. So I, I don't unless the Phillies win the next two, I think the Astros are going to win it, and I don't really see the Phillies winning the next two games. Um, one fun part of Game 2. Pat Hoberg was the home plate umpire of Game 2. And Ump Scorecards, the fun Twitter account that will tweet out all yes. the missed calls by yes. umpires, for the first time since Ump Scorecard has been tracking balls and strikes by umpires, a perfect game from Pat Hoberg. <sighs> Every single call was correct. How old That's is this guy? Almost impossible. He was he was the first or second highest rated umpire by Ump Scorecard in the regular season, uh, so he's been very good all year long, and he was uh, perfect in a World Series. You game actually saw an Ump Scorecard that said a hundred. Yep, a hundred percent. Not a one. single call popped up as missed. Uh, Jared, to answer your question. He is 36 years old. And there's your answer. <laughs> he doesn't need cheaters to see the ball. <laughs> uh, a perfect umpire um, in the World Series. And genuine question. Maybe they get tired or something. Why would this guy not be the home plate umpire for yeah. every game the rest of the World Especially Series? Especially after they saw that card. Right. I mean, I... It, Again, there's going to be three games a in a row. It's like you, 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 you ate soccer. Everyone gets a, everyone gets a trophy. Yeah, like there's sure there's going to be three <laughs> games in a row, whatever. But in all seriousness, why would this guy not be the umpire for every game the rest of the World Series? Do you think the umpires get like awards at the end of the season? But instead, it's like most embarrassing call, <laughs> Jimmy. Angel, biggest, Fern <laughs> Angel Hernandez, it's your, the your Joe, unanimous pick. The Joe West making it about yourself <laughs> award for missing a call and getting in a player's face. Well, here, here's the problem. Um, the We talked about this earlier sometime during the baseball season. Major League Baseball and the way that they sort of grade their umpires, there is a two-inch buffer zone off yeah. the plate. That if the ball hits any part of the two-inch buffer zone... They get the call. 
Right. Whether they called it a strike or not, they get credit for that. And so basically they take home plate and say, all right, anything that touches home plate is a strike. Anything that misses is a ball. But if you miss something by two inches, we're still going to give you credit for getting the call right. So they never miss things no matter what according they to call. Major League Baseball. Yeah. Like Major League Baseball, it's the, like, oh, yeah, everybody's at like 99%. Our umps are great. I mean, you get down to 92%, 93% for some of those. What a terrible, awful game. Yeah. If you're in it's, the 92 percentile. Yeah, and I mean, hell, there'll be games that are like 89%, yeah. stuff like that, Angel. too. I, I genuinely would say that I'm okay with, like, non-robot umps if the umpires were all, and this is me being just, absolutely an ageist if they were all like forced to take an eye exam and that's not i get it that's one of those old little league chance chance that the hump is blind no i'm serious <laughs> like your eyes start deteriorating like at a certain age yes. that's not even something unless you're like that's not even like something we can debate your eyes get worse as and you get older th- they're not asking you to see a red or green light they're asking you to see 100 miles an hour you know that that right. comes uh, out on, of a guy's the, hand the that, that moves comes, that moves on the corner that moves. All right, uh, here, Ed, you've got to tell me if you would do this while watching your favorite team play. Um, apparently, nine hot dogs. Uh, apparently, during the ALCS, uh, Kate Upton, who is Justin Verlander's wife, she was holding Alex Bregman's newborn son in the stadium. <laughs> During game two, and during that at bat, Alex Bregman hit a home run. So now, every time Alex Bregman comes up to bat, Kate Upton is holding Alex Bregman's son. (laughs) You ask me if I would do that? Right. If you were in whatever, the family suite, wherever the hell they're sitting, would you be grabbing Alex Bregman's son out of his own mother's hands and throwing him into Kate Upton's arms every time Bregman came up to bat? Uh, oh, I, I think the I mean, if Kate Upton wants to hold him, that's fine. I don't want to hold him because you tell me if Mookie Betts hits a home run, good luck for the kid. Good for the kid. Wait, he yeah, yeah. throws the remote. <laughs> yeah, what do you think I'm going to do with the kid? <laughs> I mean, come on. Now, if, no, if, just, if, I, if I have to hand him to Kate Upton and she wants to hold him while Mookie rounds the bases, if she's just saying, to like, get him to her. Like, you're in, like, if I'm just saying you're in the wherever they're sitting and you realize that, oh, Bregman's up and Kate Upton is not holding that baby, are you just throwing oh, people if, out of the way? To if get my the guy baby had hit a home Upton? run the night before yes. or yes. the d- game before, yes, I would say Kate <laughs> and hold the baby. Hold the baby. And I would do it before he saw another pitch, by the way. <laughs> Because who knows what would happen to the poor baby if he hit another home run or if he had a key hit. Hopefully, um, you aren't holding the baby, trying to get it to Kate Upton when the ball is hit over the fence. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, he, he would never get to Kate Upton. He would never get to her. You could, I could never baby. have a baby anywhere near me during the Padres-Dodgers. That's good. Because yeah, yeah. good well, or bad, it, wouldn't, it would not be good. You didn't even watch them this year. I know. I, was, I didn't have a television. Right. Let alone a baby. Yeah.